Happy New Year, church. Great to see you today. If you have your Bible with you, I wanna invite you at this time to go ahead, take it out, open it up, head over to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter one, verse one. We're going to start a new series today. And we're gonna be talking about identity and finding our identity in Christ. Excited about this series. So head over there to Genesis chapter one. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like that was a baptism that everyone needs to have that kind of energy level whenever they get baptized from now on. That was fantastic. I loved, loved that. What a great honor and what a great opportunity to get to start off the new year with a baptism. All right, as you're headed over there to Genesis chapter one, I wanna give a brief introduction to the Bible for those of us in the room who may be new to the Bible. Uh, the Bible's divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, the Old Testament gives us a record of God's chosen people, Israel, and tells us about their need for a rescuer, for a redeemer. Uh, they use the word Messiah. Then we get to the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, and we find out who that Messiah is. We discover that his name is Jesus, and that Jesus is not just a teacher or a prophet, but that Jesus is God's son that he is God in flesh, born of a virgin, lives a sinless human life. He dies a sacrificial death on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. And then three days later, he's raised from the dead. Now, his disciples were so convinced that he was the Messiah after he was raised from the dead, they told anyone who would listen that this Jesus was indeed the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. So we're here today preaching that same message, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He died for your sins. He he was raised from the dead to, pay, uh, to pave the way for you to have eternal life, and you can have a brand new life here today if you will choose to follow him. That's the gospel message, and we hope that you'll hear that and respond to it today. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna jump into the scripture. We're gonna start in Genesis chapter one, verse one, and uh, I hope that you're ready uh, for a brand new year. So would you pray with me, church? Heavenly Father, we are thrilled to have another year to serve you, to know you, to prepare our hearts, to join you into eternity. Uh, God, our prayer today is that we would hear you, and so that God, as we open your word, that you would speak to us, and God, once we hear you, that we would respond to the things that we hear. So Lord, today we pray, let us know you more. Uh, Father, let this not simply be a religious exercise, but let this be a moment where we meet with you. God, we pray, come in this space, Lord, in a way that we would recognize your presence. God, speak to us and move us to respond. Lord, we ask that in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, amen. Genesis chapter one, starting in verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. 
And then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning, the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came and then morning the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl in the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. This is the word of the Lord. Whenever I was in high school, grunge music became popular. Does anybody remember grunge music? I got really into bands like Pearl Jam, saw them at the Super Pit at North Texas University on the Versus Tour, was super excited about that. Got really into uh, Nirvana. Uh, guys, I was walking around in flannel in Texas in the summer. That's how deep into it I was. Now, I want you to see this picture of me uh, from high school. I'm not proud of it, but it's there, and it's real. I'm gonna show it to you. Yeah, now, 
don't I look angsty, right, in that photo? You know, grunge music, the music of angst and kind of, you know, being frustrated with life. I was the least angsty person out there, but um, I found kind of like this identity, I guess you would say, in grunge music. Now, I bring this up. Why am I walking around in flannel in Texas in the summer? And the, the reason is, is because I sort of found this community, this sense of belonging in high school through that music. Whenever Joy and I first moved to Houston 11 years ago, um, a street artist had just put up some graffiti on the Union Pacific Rail Bridge headed into downtown from the north side of town. You've probably seen it if you've lived in Houston for any amount of time. Over the I-45, as you head into downtown on the bridge, there's a graffiti that has shown up most of the time when it's not been painted over that simply says, be someone. Now, when they talked to the artist about this, he talked about the fact that being someone in his mind was going out and making a way for yourself, and I completely get that, but for me, I think this idea of being someone is something that we really need to come to grips with because right now, people are, in a lot of ways, trying to figure out who they're supposed to be. Like 17-year-old Steve, they're putting on costumes trying to figure out a way to fit in. The truth of the matter is, is that you will wear flannel in Texas in the summer if you think you can find the identity you're supposed to have. And a lot of us in this room in 2024 are trying to figure out who we're supposed to be, right? Well, I'm gonna get in shape in 2024. I'm gonna be more involved in uh, whatever organization in 2024. We're trying to really decide who we are going to be. And in doing so, we're willing to put on any number of costumes. You know, we'll put on the sweaty flannel or we'll put on whatever needs to be put on so that we can fit in, so that we can find belonging. And what I want us to hear in 2024 is that when it comes time to be someone, the best way for us to know who it is that we're supposed to be is not to try on hobbies or politics or different activities as our identities, but instead that we would turn to the scripture and we would see who it is that God has made us to be. And in 2024, we're gonna start off the year by having a six-week series in the book of Genesis so that we might discover who it is that God has made us to be. The Bible says that we have been created in the image of God. And if we're gonna figure out what it means to be someone, to truly discover what our identity is, then I think that we need to know, first and foremost, what it means to be created in the image of God. We discover what it means to be created in the image of God, I think, only by figuring out who God is. And we can discover the character of God by reading the first chapter in this great book. In the Bible, we see who it is that God is, and when we know who God is, we can see who we've been created to be, to be in his image. So who is this God? Well, the first thing we see in Genesis 1 is that the Lord is powerful. The creation account that we read in Genesis chapter one was probably first written down whenever the people of Israel were in exile after their city, Jerusalem, had been destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 BC. So what happened? The Babylonians come in, they wipe out this city. Now the Israelites had convinced themselves they had an eternal city, they had an eternal kingship, they had an eternal temple, nothing bad would ever happen to them and suddenly all of these things are destroyed and they are drugged into slavery and taken into captivity and it's there in Babylon that they run into other religions. They hear about this other creation myth. The Babylonian myth is this, is that the gods Tiamat and Marduk battle for dominance and that Marduk ends up killing Tiamat. And then once Marduk has killed Tiamat, he splits her in half. 
like a shellfish. <clears throat> Marduk takes half of Tiamat and creates the upper waters. Marduk takes the other half of Tiamat and creates the lower waters. And then from the blood of Tiamat's body, Marduk creates slaves, also known as humans. The God of the Bible has a story that sounds similar in the sense that there are waters. People are made. But here in this first story, the people of Israel are demonstrating that the God of the scripture is nothing like other gods. He is far more powerful. Number one, he doesn't need to kill anyone or anything to create. How does the God of the Bible create? He speaks. His word, that's all it takes. All it takes is one sentence from the God of the scripture and the universe comes into being. Did you notice in this chapter that God speaks and says, let there be light, and there was light, but he hasn't created the sun yet. The sun is created on day four. So he doesn't even need a sun for there to be light. He doesn't need stars or moon for there to be light. He simply speaks, and light comes into being. This God doesn't have to split anything. He is one who creates from nothing. Creation ex nihilo, as the theologians have said. He creates because he is the most powerful being that there is. And immediately, they want us to see that this God is more powerful than any Babylonian God could ever be. He's more powerful than any God that we could ever imagine. This God forms and fills by his word, demonstrating that his ways are not like the way of the world. That's who this God is. Second, the Lord is free. Sometimes we use the word sovereign whenever we talk about the freedom of God. What we mean by that is that God is never compelled to do anything. He does what he wants. Now, if we talk about ourselves in that way, if we say, well, I do what I wanna do, normally we say it like that right before we do something we probably shouldn't do, right? No, well, I do what I wanna do, and then we go do something we ought not to do. Ask yourself this question. If you could do whatever you wanted to and you knew that you would never face any sort of repercussions for doing what you wanted to do, think of all the things that you would do. Okay, right. God can do whatever he wants to do, but he does it in a way that's always good. See, if God says, I do what I wanna do, you're not afraid. Because when God does what he wants to do, he always does what is good. The scripture says he is good and he does good. He is completely free, but he is also completely good. One of the great questions that philosophers have asked over the years is why is there anything? Why do things exist? Why is there matter? And the Christian perspective is that there is something because God decided something needed to exist. God wanted creation. God wanted the material world. God wanted animals. He wanted people. He wanted the universe. God did not have a mother standing off to the side saying, you know, you really ought to get busy and make something. Right? That wasn't what happened. Out of freedom, a complete self-sufficiency, a God who is perfect, he did what he wanted to do. In other words, God wanted you to exist. He wanted the world to exist. No one made him do these things. He did it out of complete sovereignty, out of complete freedom, and freedom is the place from which God 
operates. I share this with you because I think we are so accustomed to doing things because the law tells us to do them or because we have expectations that are on us or because people compel us or guilt us into doing those things, but that's not the case with God. God is completely free. The triune God, long before there was anything that existed, was, uh, was by himself perfectly content in a state of complete love and freedom, and yet he chose to create. So, our God is powerful, our God is free, he's sovereign. Next, our God is life-sustaining. One of the things that's amazing to me is that God doesn't just freely choose to create. He doesn't just create stars and nebulae and planets, but he chooses to create a planet called Earth that is filled with life. Did you notice in Genesis chapter one some of the terms that are used? Fish and birds are swarming. They are teeming. The planet is packed with life. In fact, if left to its own device, there's nothing out there trying to hurt it in any way. Planet Earth just automatically produces and creates life. God is a God of life. This is why, for instance, that the church has always held a position that is sometimes known as pro-life. And what does that mean? Well, it means historically that the church has been a, a great agent of adoption. So in the ancient world, whenever children, uh, whenever children were abandoned, that the church would take on these children. This is why the church has historically opposed abortion. This is why the church has always been one advocating to care for the poor through feeding. This is why the church has always been in favor of education or um, different things because the church has said, we have a God who has created life and we need therefore to defend life. We need to be one that lives the same sort of uh, characteristics out that God has. We have to have the sort of idea of life. And then the last thing we see here in chapter one is that the Lord is delighting. He's delighting. He enjoys what he did. Did you notice at the end of every day? It's good. I think most of the time we think of that like a moral judgment. Like he looks down, he looks at the world, he says, yeah, that's good. But I think instead he's actually enjoying it. You know, we did a lot of cooking over Christmas uh, we smoked a beef tenderloin for our Christmas dinner. Guys, I took one bite of that and I said, oh yeah, yeah. That, that was it, that was it right there. I, uh, Joy made a ton of Christmas cookies, gingerbread, that kind of stuff. I took a bite of that and I said, that's good. And I wasn't making a moral judgment on my wife. I was saying, I am enjoying myself right now, right? That's good. The Lord is looking at the things he has created. He says, this is good. He creates people. He says, this is very good. He knows that he is having fun. Have you ever thought about that? That God is enjoying himself whenever he creates. He had so much fun, he steps back and he rests. He delights in his creation. So our God is delighting. I, I found this verse this week. Psalm 104, verse 26. Here is the sea, vast and wide, teeming with creatures beyond number. There's that, that life-affirming God. Living things, both large and small, there the ships move about, and Leviathan, which you formed to play there. Now, Leviathan is a, a sea creature, probably a sea monster in the mind of the psalmist, and in his mind, God made Leviathan to play in the ocean. This is a God that values delight. So four qualities we see of God, powerful, sovereign, I'm sorry, powerful, sovereign or free, life-affirming and delighting. So what does this tell us? This tells us 
that this is who our God is and we have been created in his image. Now I want you to hear me on this. This God, the powerful, free, life-affirming God, this God who delights in creation, you have been created in his image. So what does that mean about us? Whenever you drive under the bridge that says, be someone, I want you to hear me, this is who you're supposed to be. You're not just randomly choosing an identity, you are stepping into the identity God has intentionally crafted for people, and this is what those are. We are designed to be ambassadors of his power. So this God that's powerful, he's put us in this place. I think that one of the reasons that people you know, put on the flannel in summer, the reason that we put on these fake identities that we try to figure out something to grasp for is that we don't really know how to find belonging anywhere else. And what I want you to hear is that God has given humanity purpose. That's what I want you to hear. And that purpose is in following his ways of power. This is what I mean. A lot of people are just wandering through life. Thoreau said that many men live lives of quiet desperation. And what I want you to hear is that the creation narrative in Genesis 1, a lot of people have noticed this, a lot of scholars, that it sounds like the crafting of a temple. In fact, if you go back and you read the instructions given for the construction of the temple in the Old Testament, what you're going to find is that it looks like a garden in a lot of ways. They're, they're building things that look like flowers and trees. The idea is, is when you step into the temple to worship God, you're in the midst of a garden. And what you're seeing here is that God is placing us in this space so that we might be his people in the garden. Now listen, the last thing that you would do when you would build a temple in the ancient world, if you're worshiping other gods, is that you would put an idol of that God in the temple. <clears throat> you would put an image, if you will, of that God into the temple. According to Dr. Rebecca Pohays, in the ancient Near East, kings would set up a selim, an idol of themselves in places where they wanted to represent their authority, their presence, their areas over which they kept watch and offered protection and provision. In other words, they would put these idols, these images of their gods, wherever they wanted to say, right here, one of my representatives is watching over the world and is doing the thing that I want to have done, okay? So you would build a temple and you would then place your selim in that place. You would place that idol that would then keep watch over that area. But in the garden, in the temple that God creates, he doesn't put an idol in there, does he? He puts in a different kind of image. He puts us. And he puts it, he's crafted this temple, this garden, this creation, and the thing that he puts there that's supposed to keep watch, that's supposed to recognize and demonstrate his authority in the world, the thing that he puts is not a lifeless statue, the thing that he puts is you. He puts you there. A lot of us are walking around thinking that we don't have purpose because we have not understood what's happening in Genesis 1. Here's what I want you to hear. In Genesis 1, what's happening is that God is setting you as his image in the garden of creation and saying, you now oversee this for me. You have responsibility. You have purpose. You have authority. You have been placed into the garden to help bring about God's purposes wherever he has placed you. Wherever he's placed you. When we read in Genesis 127, 
God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. He says, whether you are man or whether you are woman, you are created in the image of God and you have a job. I have left you as my manager. I have left you as my steward. Don't just take this for granted, but help cultivate this garden. You are intended, church, to represent God's authority and his presence wherever you have been placed. You are intended to live from his character of power. He says, I'm putting my power in you and on you. Go and live in this place and carry it wherever you go. Isn't that beautiful? Love that. Next. So you're intended to be his ambassadors of his power. Next, you're meant to walk in his freedom. A lot of us in this room today are struggling with finding our place to belong. Specifically, some people feel weird about coming into the church because we have a thing, whatever our thing is, and we think that our thing will disqualify us from being part of the church, that people won't want us to be part of the church, that, that people will not receive us. And what's happened is, is that a lot of people have walked into church services over the years, and guys like me, pastors, have, have put a guilt trip on them. And we've manipulated people into doing different things for a week, a day, an hour. And then they mess up, they go back to their old ways, and then what happens? You feel ashamed. And then after you feel ashamed, what do you think? You think, well, I can't go back to the church, or I'm not who God wants me to be. And so we either do one of two things. We hide it, we become fake, Right, so a lot of people go to church and they live fake lives. Or the other thing that people do is, is they just say, well, since I can't live up to that ideal, I'm not gonna go to the church at all. But what God has said is, is that he has been created, or I'm sorry, rather that God says, I have created from freedom. I am completely sovereign. Listen to me. You have been created by a free God, listen, for freedom. God created you to be free not ashamed. I don't know that we heard that. You have been created to be free, not ashamed. God created you to be whole. God created you to be healed. God did not create you to be anxious about life, but God created you for more than behavior modification. He created you to be a God, um, to be a person who has been created by a completely free God. I don't know about you, but in my life, in my life, whenever I have elevated something to a position higher than Jesus, when that's happened in my life, then I end up getting stuck. But what the Lord wants for you is to walk in a position of freedom. He wants you to know that the spirit of Jesus is intended to take up residence in your life and to bring you a free existence. Your sin and your shame were crucified on the cross of Christ so that you might be delivered to be free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. One of the great revelations that we have today is that God has created us to be freedom. You have been intended to live free. In the same way that God is free, you've been intended to live in freedom. Next, you were created to cultivate life. We played a lot of board games over Christmas at my house. Let me tell you what, uh, we are competitive. You know, like, it, uh, there'll be times we're playing those games and it's like, well, now I'm going to destroy you. You know, like, that's the moment. You know, nobody like family, right, to bring it out in you. Uh, what's funny, though, is, is that I think that games are fun, competition is good, sports are good, that sort of thing. But what's funny is, is that when you look at life, 
when you look at, not, I don't mean life in the philosophical term, I'm talking about living things, the created order, you see how created things work together to cooperate, to help move forward. And here's the thing that I've noticed, is that we have been created not to kill, but we have been created to cultivate. In Genesis chapter two, which we didn't get to today, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. Now those words, to work it and to watch over it, those words are words taken straight from the Levitical priestly code. They are the words of the actions that priests perform. You have been placed in the temple of creation and you have been set here as a priest of sorts to work and to watch. Your job is to cultivate creation, to bring about life. One of the things that's been weird um, over the years is just an opportunity from time to time to have pastoral counseling with men who have gone into combat in the armed services. And they, they did it out of a place of honor and love for our nation and love for us to protect us. And, uh, and I'm, I thank the Lord for them and their willingness, their bravery, their courage. And whenever I talk to these men that have come back from combat, what I've discovered is, is that they are struggling with what counselors today have given the term moral injury. And what does that mean? That means that they did what needed to be done, but they have seen things and done things that they were not created to do. You know, we, we put on a pedestal the soldier who defends, but the truth of the matter is, is we weren't made to kill. And so whenever someone does that, they've seen death and it affects them. We were instead created to cultivate life. You were made to be a priest, to be placed into the garden and there in that garden to help work it and to tend it and to cultivate it. And this is what God has for you. God wants you to help bring about life. And then finally, you were intended to delight in creation. Some of us, by us I mean me, we struggle because we feel like we're not doing enough. I mean, some of us, we're already overwhelmed because we bought a new planner for 2024, right? I mean, we've already made a to-do list we couldn't get done in three years. And I think it's important for us to remember that in Genesis chapter one, that one of the very first things that God does is he delights in creation by taking a break. And you can rise and grind all you want, and hustle culture has its benefits, but the thing I want you to hear today is that you are allowed to enjoy creation. That you can delight in creation, and you can say this is good because God did this. So, what's the bottom line today? We'll get to this here in a couple of weeks, but everything went sideways in creation because of the fall, because of sin. And the beautiful truth is, is that Jesus... Jesus wants to restore you and me and every person who has ever lived into God's intended identity for you. You don't have to live in a fake identity. You don't have to put on the sweaty flannel. 
You don't have to try to live some other life. You don't have to find your identity in your hobby. You don't have to find your identity in your family. Those aren't bad things, of course. It's just not the thing that's supposed to take center stage in your life. It's supposed to be Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, is that some of us today don't understand that because we haven't heard this truth. And here it is, is that Jesus took on flesh and that Jesus died on a cross and Jesus conquered a, a death in an empty tomb. Jesus did those things because he wants you to have a life fulfilled with purpose, hope, and a future. He wants you to have true identity based in him. This is what Jesus came to bring. And your deepest satisfaction will be found in that true identity, and your true identity is found in Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, he brought you to a place where you can finally belong, where you can finally rest, where you can finally be who you've been created to be. This is an identity that's based in real power. You don't have to walk around and bully others or act like you're bigger than you are. You don't have to fake courage or bravery, but instead you can know that when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in all the earth, or when Paul says that we will be ambassadors of reconciliation, that we can walk in the authority of the Lord because God has said, that's my kid right there. You can have an identity that's based in true freedom where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and Jesus will give you freedom to walk in a new way. I'm not telling you it's gonna be easy. I'm not telling you that there won't be a battle along the way but the truth of the matter is is that you can have freedom today. You can walk away from whatever habit or hang up or addiction or brokenness is in your life because the spirit of the living God will come in and take residence in you and the spirit of the living God will give you the power you need to walk in freedom. I'm telling you today, it's an identity that's based in true life. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to you to the full. God doesn't just want a planet filled with flowers and animals, but God also wants a planet filled with people who are truly living, living, not walking in a life of desperation, but instead living a life of purpose and hope and joy. Jesus wants you to have true life. You will not have it chasing money. You will not have it chasing after relationships. You will not have it chasing after achievement. You may enjoy those things, but at the end of the day, you will ultimately find a vacuum until you find life in Jesus and Jesus alone. You will have an identity that is based in delight. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You have been created to enjoy the Lord forever. You have been created to enjoy creation. You have been created to enjoy him, but you will not find these things. You will not find power or freedom or life or joy. You will not find these things in toto apart from Jesus Christ. You will not. You need today to say yes to the identity given you in Jesus Christ. And this is the way that it happens. For those of us who have been walking around looking for purpose, surrender to Jesus today. And for those of us today who believe in Jesus, but we have slowly slid into finding our purpose and our identity in other places today, take off the sweaty flannel. Put on the faith and walk in the way God meant for you to walk. This is the call to set down the fake identity and to pick up the fullness of the faith given in Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Some of us today, starting off 2024, 
As you start off 2024, the question that I want to ask you is this. Are you living the life God would have you to live? And if the answer is no, are you ready to do so? Here's the next question. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Because you can't have this life until you place your faith in Jesus. And if you are ready to say yes to him today, that's you. And you can do so right now. So here's my question. If you're ready to place your faith in Jesus, to say yes to him for the first time, to say, I need this new identity, I need this fresh way of life, would you surrender right now? And would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. Just raise it up high, okay? I see you. Who else? Raise it up where I can, can see your hands, okay? Okay, I see you. Who else? Just raise, raise them up. I got some lights in my eyes. Raise them up, okay? I see you. Who else? Raise them up, okay? I see you, sir. Who else? Anybody else? Okay, several. Okay, I see you, sir. Thank you. Okay. Anybody else? Okay, if you just raised your hand for the first time, here's the thing. I want you to just pray with me right where you're at. This is what you're doing. <clears throat> right now, what you are saying is, is I'm ready to believe these things, that Jesus is God's son, that he died for my sin, and that he came back from the dead to give me a new life, and I'm ready to believe in him and to step into that new life. If that's you, I want you to pray with me, and then when this service is over, I want you to come meet me on the back porch and just say, I gave my life to Christ today, I'm ready to follow him, okay? So I'm gonna pray for us right now, and if that's you, and you meant that, only if you meant it, I want you to pray with me right where you're at. Heavenly Father, I believe. I believe that Jesus is God's son. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead to give me a new life, and I'm ready to follow him in 2024 and every other day of my life. I surrender to him today. I'm ready to follow you. God, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Church, we had many who came to faith today. Let's give the Lord a round of applause for his goodness today. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you have any questions about what you just heard, we'd love to talk with you. You can get connected at hnw.org about what we believe or how to join a small group or follow us on social media as well. Thank you so much for joining us and we'd love to see you soon.